I was thinking about, you know, so in this episode that's coming up, we're going to talk about how, you know, they don't make CAA guys like they used to, which mm-hmm. we've talked about on the show before. But I was thinking about it, too, is they don't make crank senators like they used to. That is a good point, yeah. Because I was thinking when we were talking, I was like, damn, we need like a crank senator who's just like, we need more documents, but who isn't like internet QAnon brained and like using it as another thing. Like you need a really, really passionate document guy to be demanding the documents. Yeah, there's no more Mike Gravels anymore. Yeah. Yes. That kind of that type is just totally gone. Like now. crank friendly, yeah. but like with passion and yeah. integrity. Yeah, because yeah, I, I mean, immediately, well, you said QAnon, so she's out. But, like, obviously Marjorie Taylor Greene yeah, comes no, to mind. Sure. Fucking get her out of here. But, no. like, it's just a freak show. You know no. what I mean? Like, she's not actually interested in the documents. Yeah. No, it, they're all crazy internet brain people. We need some hard-hitting paper pushers. You heard it here, ladies and gentlemen. That's what Liz wants in office, hard-hitting paper pushers. Meanwhile, I'd settle for a few more women. (laughs) Hello, welcome to the show. My name is Brace Belden. I am, of course, joined by my beautiful, if genderly traitorous, co-host. I'm Liz. And record scratch. We also have with us in the studio Ben Howard. Good to be here. And who else? I'm Aaron Good. Aaron Good over there, of course, um, having to call in via the throat of Young Chomsky, <laughs> which I also use to communicate with my desires. And of course, we are joined by the man himself, producer Young Chomsky, and the podcast is called. It's called Tronon. Hello. Hello. What a fucking casting call that was. What a casting call that was. <laughs> what a casting call that was. I think I could act. Um, you act every day. Act a fool. I act out. I'm bad. Uh, no, like, I think I could be in Othello. But that's neither here nor there. That's in the future. So we are back with JFK 201. Part two. <laughs> they never really did come up with a good name to number podcast episodes. Did what do you they? mean? It's just, just a number. They. They. Uh, uh, yeah, I know, but there's two twos in this and a one and an O. Mm. But what? what other you know what, though? I think have? our listeners are smart enough to figure it out. Uh huh. And I can tell you when I get to the interview. Ben, what are we talking about today? Talking about documents, you know, we're talking about reams of documents. You should be printing everything, all of yeah. the documents that, that were printed and not printed, especially having to do with uh, various hanky-panky that was going on in New Orleans and in Mexico City. Uh, I just love those cities, you know. It's just it's, there's always something about uh, about the southern charm of New Orleans, and uh, and diving into you know more more of what Lee Harvey Oswald was was getting into, and what kind of strange business he was up to, and uh, what people lied about, and what they lied about on paper. So, fry up that oyster. Suffer some succotage, and head on down to New Orleans. Right now. Bring, bring. 
um, Ola, me amo Lee Harvey Oswald. Is this the Cuban consulate? Good, good. You know, I was just down here in Ola, Mexico City for a couple of days, uh, checking out the sights, and I was wondering, listen, I'm going to say something a little crazy right now. What do you think would happen if I maybe shot El Presidente, for using code words here, of America, of, of El America, oh, uh, with a gun, and then I came to your conchurio, Cuba. Hello? Hello, 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 hello. Welcome back, JFK 102, part two. No. No? 201, part two. Yeah, I, listen, I didn't go to, listen, the college I went to, the numbers were, you kind of just made up your own numbers, you know what I'm saying? I went to Evergreen. <laughs> Evergreen College should be closed. We all welcome to the show independent researcher Ben Howard, political scientist and host of the American Exception podcast, Aaron Good. Uh, welcome here to sunny Mexico City, where we have fled during COVID so that we can work on our, what are they called? Work from home jobs here in Mexico. Uh, this is a lovely co-working space. I'm very glad to be here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great to be here. And uh, there's a lot of, a lot more bass than I would have expected. And it <laughs> smells more like weed than I would have guessed. Although I don't know why that should surprise me, but it's really... Really nice. I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna finish closing. We can keep rolling. I'm gonna finish closing the studio door here. But yes, the our our neighbors are 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 are, are, are let's just say burning one down in more than one way right now. <laughs> well, I didn't call you guys down here to Mexico in order to just have my bachelor party. Uh, we are actually going to be talking, continuing our discussion about Lee Harvey Oswald's. Uh, what would you globe trotting life? Yeah. Um, because. The sort of the Mexico connection Mm. is a pretty big piece of the puzzle in the time leading up to the assassination of JFK. And the stories around Oswald in Mexico are strange. Um, There are stories of many Oswalds, multiple Oswalds, a story of no Oswalds. Uh, There's a story of Oswald completely playing it straight, being one of the most... um, I guess you could say obvious people uh, trying to defect again in human history. But to put it in context a little bit, Mexico in the during the Cold War occupied a pretty unique position yeah. in uh, in the Western Hemisphere. Um, it was one of the few places where, uh, in fact, uh, well, yeah, I'm just going to say one of the few places. Uh, where there was both the was East meets West, let's say. Like, yeah, you know, you had the Soviet, Chinese, Cuban embassies, everyone was there. You also had the the Western countries embassies there. Uh, and it was kind of a, let's say, a hotbed of intrigue, uh, especially during the 1960s. And so that is where Lee Harvey Oswaldo, actually there's a different Lee Harvey Oswaldo, but uh, a Lee Harvey Oswald found himself just right before uh JFK's head um, did that. Yeah, the context I would put this in, you know, why why did Oswald's visit end up mattering post-assassination is that according to, uh, well, yeah, I mean, there were news stories in the in the press, uh, that some of which seemed to have been planted by the CIA, that Oswald had this Cuban and Soviet connection. 
and that therefore there was some kind of Soviet-Cuban angle in the assassination. Uh, that is to say that, that Khrushchev and Castro had him killed. Um, and we talked about the Katzenbach memo, I think, on some of the earlier episodes that we did, uh, where the, uh, the deputy attorney general Katzenbach, who was basically running the Justice Department at that point, considering that the attorney general's you know, brother had just been shot, so he was kind of out of commission at that point. And he becomes aware that Oswald has apparently gone to Mexico City and uh, met, w- went, to, went to both the Cuban and Soviet embassies uh, and apparently met with a KGB uh, officer at, uh, and in the Soviet embassy. Uh, and so this, this is what became the basis for the cover-up. Um, and Katzenbach, in that memo, as we talked about you know, whenever we did that episode, uh, outlines that Oswald has got, because of this uh, potential for this... Um, the Cuba and Soviet angle to get out of hand, uh, we have to align around this Oswald did it alone story. Otherwise, it's going to have these uh, geopolitical implications. And in particular, Johnson even mentions Mexico City when he talks to uh, Warren. I believe it was Warren. It might have been Russell. It was one of the people he was convincing to be on um, the the Warren Commission uh, named for, for Chief Justice Earl Warren. And Warren didn't want to do it. And uh, Johnson convinces him by saying, uh, you know, if, if we let this Cuban-Soviet angle get out of hand and if, if Oswald uh, is associated with them, then this could become a nuclear war that kills 40 mm-hmm. million Americans. Yeah. Um, so that is why the fact that Oswald was in Mexico City and had these meetings or is alleged to have had these meetings, certainly the, the CIA documentation says that he, he had these meetings and said he made these phone calls. Um, that's why it becomes really important. But then you you wonder uh, if it was all in the CIA, if it was all, it, you know, it, literally the day after the assassination, they didn't have to collect any more information about this. It was all already in there. Um, so why why was why didn't why were none of the relevant parties told about any of this uh, before the assassination? For instance, when when Oswald, uh, you know, on Oct- on October eighth, I believe he he gets removed from. Which again is like six, you know, six weeks or so before the assassination, he gets taken off of the FBI espionage list. Which means that when the Secret Service goes to look up, um, you know, who do we need to get off of the parade route? Oswald's name is not on that list. Yeah, and he, he wouldn't have been flagged. Yeah, and he had been flagged when he went to, you know, when he defected in in 1959. They put him on that list, and they take him off that list. You know, six weeks six weeks before the assassination. Uh, right when he is in Mexico City meeting with, uh, you know, according to the CIA, meeting with this KGB officer uh, who the CIA, I mean, I think Penn Bagley, uh, who was uh, Soviet Russia Division uh, counterintelligence, wrote a memo the day after the assassination saying that that this guy, Valery Kostikov, that Oswald met with, uh, was the head of of uh, political assassinations in the Western Hemisphere. So mm-hmm. that was obviously pretty explosive that Oswald had met with this guy. Again, according to the CIA's story, Oswald had met with this guy. Uh, but why was none of that information uh, going where it should have gone? Uh, all all of these, um, you know, like we were talking about earlier, uh, you know, Jane Roman uh, on an earlier episode, Jane Roman signing off on this memo, you know, not relaying any of this. Uh, you know, John Newman looks at it as there was a coordinated effort to lower Oswald's profile during this time period. Um, yet it's at precisely this moment that his actions 
just based on, again, what the CIA says he was doing, would make you most uh, right. most worried about him, right? Like he's, So, like, internally they want to lower his profile while externally they want to raise his profile. Exactly, because you don't and, – and you, and you need to do it in such a way it, um, that – uh, nobody arrests Oswald before before mm-hmm. he can become the patsy that that he's uh, kept. Like I said, that he's kept off of the off of the security index so that uh, mm-hmm. the se- Secret Service doesn't flag him. But you still need to have it in the CIA documentary record. Um, again, assuming I mean the my hypothesis, and you know this is something that I got from John Newman and and, and Jeff Morley and other people who've written about this um, is that is that whoever did this. Uh, was aware that it was going to make Oswald seem as though he was meeting with the Soviet Union, you know, for the purposes of assassinating the president. So if that's the if that is the uh, theory that you're operating off of, the actions of the CIA make sense because it need, on the on the day after the assassination, it needs to seem like Oswald is a Soviet agent, okay. so that you can then threaten everybody and say, we need to have a cover-up because otherwise all this Soviet Cuba stuff is going to get out and that's going to be, that's going to create a war. But it can't get out uh, before the assassination because otherwise Oswald might get arrested or he wouldn't be in a position to be the patsy. So you have to do all of these things, again, with routing documents, not sending them to the right place um, uh, so that the, 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 the wrong people don't find out ahead of time. Mm. Uh, and that's a pretty, I mean, you know, that's something that happened in 9/11 as well, where certain people in the CIA were aware of the hijackers, but you don't you you can't blow the whistle on them before 9/11 happens. Otherwise, you don't get your false flag attack. So it's a pretty common, uh, you know, if you need to designate a patsy, it's a pretty common thing is to generate this paperwork, but make sure that the wrong people don't see it until after the appointed time. At which point, you know, you can open it up and say, "Hey, look, here, this guy met with these Soviets." Uh, even though it's you know very possible that Oswald never actually even went to Mexico City, I was you, you mentioned this. I think it was you last night, Ben. And we were uh, having some drinks and chatting about the Kennedy assassination and just do, having a normal night. <laughs> and uh, it was the absurdity of that scenario of like imagine you're the head of assassinations and you're like, man, I I really would like to get rid of that President Kennedy. Oh, we got a walk-in today. Oh, <laughs> oh you seem like the man for the job. Yeah. I mean, that is actually yeah, yeah. so yeah. ridiculous, even to use it the way that they did, which was just a gambit to like persuade people like uh, Earl Warren and, and Richard Russell. It seems like it shouldn't have worked anyway, although they probably didn't ask for details about it or, or even stop to think about it, I think. Because yeah. like, if, yeah. if you start just thinking about it, like the KGB observed him in the Soviet Union and like he he clearly was a known entity to them so the idea that they would then use him to kill the president is just like just a farce like on its face but it held up enough for long enough that you know like one of the first mentions of uh, you know, we talked about Carlos Brunier who was this um, Cuban anti-Castro yeah. uh, Cuban exile and the day after the assassination or maybe even the day of like in the evening edition um, he was talking, he told the Washington Post, like, oh, uh, Oswald is a pro-Cuba, pro-Castro guy. And that was one of the first instances of that, of this idea that, like, Castro and Khrushchev did this. And obviously he, you know, his, that's based on his experience with, with uh, Oswald in, in New Orleans. Uh, but, of course, Brunier was himself a CIA asset and, you know, like, he was perfectly positioned to have this, uh, this 
Oh, wow, apparently Oswald is like a pro Cuba guy. Oh, I beat that guy's ass. Yeah, I beat him up one time in this like, you know, you know, huge scene on on Canal Street. Yeah. Uh, it's just very convenient, and then there's Brunier to to you know to raise this idea in the press, um, which was I mean that article, and there were some other you know you talked you mentioned Frank Sturgis put out some stuff like that was the stuff that triggered Katzenbach to write this memo because he talks in that memo about oh there are these stories coming out in the press now right. about this Cuba angle, and if we don't get a lock on this, like we're gonna have some serious problems. Yes, that I think we said off air, so I should just explain it. Uh, Peter Dale Scott wrote about this in Ramparts in like 1973. He was one of the first people to make the connection between Watergate and Dallas. And what led him to that realization was that he was already looking into this Frank Fiorini, Frank Sturgis fellow as being involved in gun running and other uh, mob-connected operations uh, when he suddenly gets arrested uh, breaking into the Watergate, and then Peter is quite surprised by this, and he goes back and you know he'd been looking into what Sturgis was doing, and in the immediate in the immediate aftermath of the Kennedy assassination, he is coordinating apparently with other people uh, in Florida uh, to leak information connecting Oswald to uh, to, the, to to Castro right away, and uh, it gets. It's sort of ham-fisted to the point that it almost looks like it was maybe meant to be discredited. Like Mm -hmm. it was maybe it was meant to do what it sort of did do, which was necessitate a cover-up. So between the reports coming out of Mexico City and then these other reports coming from uh, people connected to Sturgis and uh, other Miami Cubans, you've got this um, real... Uh, the danger that would go along with investigating this that they can use to tell people. So that's what Warren gets told by LBJ. And LBJ was describing this later. I think it was to, to Hoover. He's recalling what happened. And he just says, uh, or he could, have been to, he could have been just recounting this, to, not to Hoover. So he says, I pulled out what Hoover told me about a little incident in Mexico City, and I say now I don't want Mr. Khrushchev to be told tomorrow and testifying before Cameron that he killed his fellow and that Castro killed him and all. What you do is look at the facts, bring in the other facts, and uh, we want in here and determine who killed the president. And then he said, LBJ basically makes fun of Warren for crying. And, you know, it's just like, I won't turn you down. I won't turn you down. He says the world's going to end if you don't do this. And then he makes fun of the guy for crying about the end of the world. That's... That was the president. L, 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 he's just, just showing him his penis and being like, why are you crying, girl? So it's kind of just like that was sort of his whole he thing. He did those. He did that sometimes. He's rocking a hog. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the Mexico sojourn would be like kind of an inversion, I guess, of like uh, the, the approach to Kennedy that, that I think many people take, which is that like – and this is still like a kind of a very much a Bircher – I don't know Birchers exactly because they might have thought Kennedy himself was a communist. In fact, I without checking, a hundred percent. I think it's well did. within their capabilities to both believe that yeah. Ka- Kennedy was a communist God. and he was also killed by communists. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. Um, I think that, that actually is what they yeah. believe. I think. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Well, it's, it has happened before, um, but. Uh, that like you know there's the theory and there are still some like the more soldier of fortune crowd might believe this too yeah. that like Oswald was a Soviet agent yeah, yeah. that was assisted by uh, DGI I think it's the Cuban intelligence right. and the KGB in an assassination successful assassination of uh, of President Kennedy and that the CIA which is itself a sort of a pinko 
institution. Sure. That, that's what they believe. They, yeah. they believe yes. that. It blows my mind. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. because they betrayed our friends in Rhodesia or whatever. <laughs> Um, but, uh, that, uh, that, that basically that, and this would be your smoking gun, right? Like he goes down to Mexico, he meets with the Cubans, he meets with a supposed KGB assassination, department 13 assassination officer, and he presumably receives his mission details. Uh, and the CIA's evidence is a photograph of someone who was not Lee Harvey Oswald. Uh, and some phone messages and a kidnapped secretary yeah. well, kidnapped by the Mexican police. That's right. Tortured even a little bit too, right? I think yeah, so. They, 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 uh, they arrested her and then they released her and then they were like, oh, we need to get her back and let's do it. I think they called it a vigorous and exhaustive interrogation. So you can imagine what, what that means when you tell somebody in the CIA to do a, a vigorous and exhaustive uh, interrogation. Mm. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, I, I, Aaron, I'd be interested to know like your point of view about what happened because it seems it seems to me like Oswald did go to Mexico City. Yeah, it's, it seems to me yeah. based on based on like Sylvia Duran and and uh, Valery Kostikov, you know, meeting with him and you know apparently, again, they could be lying and they could be, uh, you know, trying to conceal something themselves. Uh, but they seem to think that the Oswald they met with is the Oswald that they saw on I TV. I think Duran gave a different description to someone. Well, th- Duran's story. And she was the secretary to the consular general. Of she, the Cuban yeah, embassy? she worked in the. She was a, she was Mexican, but she worked in the um, yeah. Cuban consulate, and she handled this kind of visa because Oswald basically his ostensible reason for going was to redefect. Like that was what he said uh, to them. Apparently, I mean, assuming it was him, and that he wanted to go, but it doesn't make any sense because when he did defect, um, he went to Finland. And he went to Helsinki, and this was like a known shortcut to get yeah. a visa to go into the Soviet. It was not that well known. And in fact, I think Helms said it was not something that the average person would have known, but uh, Oswald did know it in 1959. So why didn't he just do that again? Like instead, he's going to go to Mexico City and try to get a transit visa for Cuba and then from Cuba go to the Soviet Union. But the so the policy of the Soviet Union, which he, he uh, must have known, or, or it seems like you know people who who assigned him to do this must have known is that you can only get a visa to go to the Soviet Union if you're if you go to your own country's uh, embassy. So that would have been the embassy in Washington. Um, so it seems to me like uh, he he was instructed to do this so that you would get Cuba and the Soviet Union together in yeah. one story, because right. otherwise the choice of of doing that, well, given so he's already successfully defected a totally different way. The ostensible reason that he needed to even contact the Soviets in the first place is that the Cuban embassy was like, we need some photographs of you. So he, he calls up the Soviets. And I believe that phone call is the one that's tapped. That's yeah. Like, there's, a, there's a bizarre phone call where, so he so with the sequence of events is he goes to the, so this happens on, on the September 27th. Uh, uh, 1963. So again, very, very shortly before the assassination, uh, assassination, he goes to the Cuban embassy, uh, and he he basically says, "I need a transit visa to go to the Soviet Union," and Sylvia Duran tells him, um, "You can only, I can only give you this transit visa if you go to the Soviet embassy and, and get a Soviet visa." Um, so he tries to do that. He goes to the Soviet embassy and he meets with Kostikov, who's uh, who is in, who apparently was in the KGB, but his you know they have to have a day job 
uh, where they, you know, so they can appear to be a cultural attache usually. Yeah, I think I think they gave him like you know a bullshit uh, visa paperwork job that would probably was pretty easy to blow off, mm-hmm. so that he could you know have uh, do do his uh, do his KGB stuff because uh, he does need to at least appear to be you know yeah. like a consular yeah. official. So so yeah, Oswald meets with him in that capacity of trying to get a visa, and Kostikov basically tells him, uh, no, like at, first off, it's going to take at least four months. And anyway, you should you have to go to Washington to do this because you're an American, you're not Mexican, so I can't help you. Um, and so Oswald Oswald re- basically refuses. He doesn't even want to sign the paperwork. Like he's like, whatever, I'm just I'm done with this. Um, but then there's this so determined. I know, he was so determined. I know. He was so determined, and then he is as, he as like as soon thing. as he's just done he's with just it. Just like this, like Russian in a suit, just like sitting down talking. I'm like, bro, you need to do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, yeah. And and then he's I, just I, over it. Yeah, he's not interested anymore. Yeah, but then there's this weird phone call uh, where he apparently, I mean, if you listen to the phone call, it's Oswald goes back to the Cuban consulate. Uh, well, actually, so first Oswald does go back to the Cuban consulate and just lies to Duran and says to Duran, um, I got a Soviet visa. They're going to give me one, so can you give me this transit visa? And she's like, I don't think that's true. And she calls Kostikov, and he's like, yeah, that didn't happen. Um, but importantly, there's there, so there's a phone call between the two of them, um, and it's tapped. But I think the two of them were smart enough to not say Oswald's name on that call. Mm. Um, so uh, now you, so now, like, if... If you are the um, if you're the CIA, and again you're trying to continue to, because I don't think a lot, I don't think the people who organized this, I think this was a continuation of his Fair Play for Cuba committee um, discreditation, basically. That now this guy who started this Fair Play for Cuba committee in New Orleans, he gets uh, the like debate thing that he did uh, was on August 21st. So like a month later, he then is like, okay, well, I've been found out. So now I'm going to flee. I'm going to go back to the rat's nest, right? I'm going to flee back to Cuba and and Russia. Um, but he, uh, so from their point of view, the problem, the problem now is that, uh, there's, there's no, there's not really a, a clear link, uh, between Oswald and Kostikov because they don't have, uh, Kost- we we know about the meeting between Kostikov and Oswald because Kostikov has um, has talked about it. Mm. So they don't have any they don't have any intel on on this call. So they have to have this phone and the phone call between Duran and Kostikov doesn't mention Oswald's name. So now there's this very strange call uh, where uh, Oswald apparently goes back to the Cuban consulate again and is sitting next to Sylvia Duran and calls the Soviet embassy. But when you and and the Lopez report, which was a part of the um, uh, the HSCA investigation, calls the transcript of this phone call incomprehensible because it doesn't seem like. Uh, first off, it doesn't seem like it's Oswald's voice, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, who uh, uh, because this person is speaking Spanish, and Oswald apparently did not speak Spanish. Wow, well, we can tell from my intro, he does a little. <laughs> <laughs> but he it seems clear from the way he's talking that he doesn't know what happened. Yeah. In the like the whoever it was that made this phone call doesn't know the what contents. happened in the prior meetings. Yeah, like because Oswald has this whole conversation yeah. with Kostikov. They have they're they're he doesn't end up signing the visa paperwork, but it seems like whoever recorded this call doesn't know that, and they're just trying to uh, fish enough and get the conversation going on enough, right. so that now there's this documented. Oswald, I met with Kostikov, you know, here's my, here's how I spell my name, you know, et cetera, to get that into the record. Um, 
And there are other there are other strange phone calls that are like that, where uh, you know someone who speaks uh, broken Russian makes makes a phone call uh, to the Soviet embassy. Uh, but I mean, I even heard a uh, anecdote from Peter Dale Scott recently that. Oswald used to read Turgayev, like he would read Russian literature for fun, right? So this is like clearly a guy who can speak Russian. So it's obviously not him on the phone. Oh, Turgayev in the original. Yeah, that's ex- you know exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, and uh, because like when he was in Minsk, he would like go to the library and get yeah, like Russian yeah. language books. You know, Turgayev amongst them. Um, and so even like the person taking the transcript. And doing the translation in the CIA of this phone call is like uh, this is like almost incomprehensible Russian. Mm. Um, so it's it's things like that where it seems like uh, the they didn't get enough out of the stuff that Oswald did in the in the embassy, and they they needed to have these these uh, phone calls that would uh, kind of explicate and put mm-hmm. on the record in the CIA documents. Sicken it up. Yeah, exactly, and and kind of give more more substance to it because I don't think Oswald was himself you know a very effective intelligence agent. He, he was kind of bumbling in that respect. Yeah. Um, it, the whole Mexico City thing is bizarre, and I think that you can't really say whether he was or was not yeah. in Mexico City because of uh, a number of conflicting uh, testimonies from different people and evidence that points in different directions. Um, he There was a woman, Sylvia Odio, who was in around Dallas, I believe, is where she lived, and like while Oswald was supposed to be in Mexico City, she she saw Oswald come to her house with some right wing Cubans, and they were making a point about how he was going to kill the president. And she was a very reliable person. She told this to other people beforehand, uh, like I think her priest maybe even, and she was like really shaken up about it. Uh, and she fainted when she saw him on television. She was like, "That's the guy." And he went by I think Lee. They called him Leon or something like that, or they get like Leon Oswald. Leon Oswald. Yeah. Well, Harvey. Yeah, Harvey only shows up when the name Harvey. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. The CIA apparently mistakenly put the wrong middle name for him in their in their main yeah. file. Yeah. Uh, which is a, a totally inexplicable story. Ben you know, how Howard that Oswald. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like the person who did that. I think did so knowingly. Uh, to try to, I think it was a part of the mole hunt to try to to try to ferret out um, if somebody would correct the record. Basically, yeah, like mm-hmm. if you or or if you so so if his um, if if uh, they put in his file that his middle name is is Henry, and you're the you're the KGB mole that's in the CIA, and that's the only thing you know about him, so you pass the Henry name <laughs> yeah, back to the yeah. Soviet Union. Who uh, any uh, if you you presumably would need to have your own mole you need to have your own CIA mole in the KGB to say hey I spotted somebody using the Lee Henry Oswald name um, so that gives you a sense that that person is probably their, the handler for whoever right. is the mole yeah, back it's, it's at CIA. Yeah, it's a way to it's like you leak certain details. Yeah, or, Peter so Scott called it the barium meal, the yeah. specific thing where you uh, before you do like certain types of medical imaging, you'll have you'll eat a meal oh, that has barium yes, in it, so like yeah. your systems show up. Um, you know, you could also call it like a marked card is sometimes what it's called, where you insert this. There's it's actually like a common technique um, 
in um, if you want to prevent something from being leaked, you'll like give every person a different copy yeah. of a document yeah. and change yeah. one word or something in it. It's a, it's a very common like trope at the end of murder mysteries too, right? It's yeah. like, you know, I never mentioned that the window was unlocked. Yeah, exactly. Things, like, it's, things, it's, of, things it's, of this nature. Yeah, exactly. We have tracing information. Yeah. yeah. And, so it, and I think that's, you know, because the person who did that, Ann Editor, uh, um, you know, when she... I mean, we know that when she wrote the wrong middle name on on Oswald's, this was his main 201 personnel file at the CIA. Like she was looking at a document that had his correct last name and on multiple different occasions, she was looking at that same document and then still used his wrong middle name. So it seems very intentional um, that she did this. Uh, and again, it's just one another one of the indications that you know there was some kind of counterintelligence operation going on that was using Oswald to figure out you know what the what the Soviet Union knew. Because, like I said, that would be a good way. Is is you know anybody using that name now, you know that they are uh, they're interested in Oswald, uh, and and that would be a good indication that they, you know, heard about it from their whoever their KGB handler was, you know, whatever, whoever the mole is in the CIA. I mean, there is so much strangeness around that. Mexico City back uh, angle, just to bring it back to that, I want to point out a, a, a transcript of a conversation, not the entire thing, but they were for, there was a recording supposedly made of, uh, the, of Oswald talking on the phone, and they listened to that, and then a day after the assassination, there's a conversation between LBJ and Hoover. The recording of this conversation is gone, but the, they have a transcript. LBJ asks Hoover, have you established any more about the visit to the Soviet embassy in Mexico in September? Hoover says, no, that one angle is very confusing. Um, for this reason, we have up here the tape and the photograph of the man who was at the Soviet embassy using Oswald's name. That picture and the tape do not correspond to this man's voice nor to his appearance. In other words, it appears that there's a second person who was at the Soviet embassy down there. Now, later, um, Ed Lopez and Dan Hardway, who were working for the House Select Committee on Assassinations uh, in the 1970s, they wrote this thing called the Lopez Report where um, – they say, inasmuch as the Dallas agents who listened to the tape of the conversation allegedly of Oswald from the Cuban embassy to the Russian embassy in Mexico and examined the photographs of the visitor to the embassy in Mexico and were of the opinion that neither the tape nor the photograph pertained to Oswald. And there's even a statement from um, Hoover where he references like what he thinks is CIA chicanery. He says... Yeah. Um, yeah, it's actually marginalia at the bottom of a memo pertaining to all this. But he writes, okay, but I hope you're not being taken in. I can't forget the CIA withholding the French espionage activities in USA, nor the false story regarding Oswald's trip to Mexico City, only to mention two of their instances of double dealing. And yeah. this was written by J. Edgar Hoover? J. Yeah, yeah. Edgar Hoover. Yeah, I think he was talking specifically there, too, about uh, the, the tapes because the uh, the one of the issues that emerges is that, like you said, there's this there's clearly these documents where people have done analysis of the tapes, and they could tell that the people in the tapes are not Oswald. Right. And obviously, if that's true, and somebody was impersonating Oswald before the assassination, I mean, that's kind of like that's like the whole obviously thing. there yeah, was that, that, intelligence that, that is <laughs> that was somebody did that on purpose for whatever reason. Yeah. Clearly, there was intelligence. If those tapes are are yeah. an imposter, obviously that's an intelligence operation. And so, yeah, like clearly people had heard the tapes and said that it was, you know, such that Hoover was reporting it to the president. But then those tapes were destroyed and the CIA claimed for a long time that the tapes were destroyed before the assassination. 
And that was a problem because there was all this FBI document, all these FBI documents uh, where the people in the FBI were talking about listening to the tapes. And even Ann Edgeter, uh, who, who, like I said, worked for Angleton um, uh, at the uh, at the at the counterintelligence unit of the CIA, uh, she said that the tapes were hand delivered across the border in Texas. Uh, so uh, the the cover story that the tapes were destroyed before the assassination kind of falls apart. And I think Hoover in that instance was pissed off because he looked like an idiot. He looked well, like he didn't know what the fuck was going on because I, his people were talking about tapes and they've listened to tapes and they've compared tapes and the CIA is saying we destroyed all the tapes before the assassination. So it's just a very sloppy, very sloppy cover story. So in like in like basically a like a, you know a month, month and a half, two month period. The CIA would have just, I mean, I, I, you know, listen, I know in large bureaucracies like the CIA, things get destroyed sometimes. Uh, two months seems like a particularly rapid uh, uh, road to destruction for that. I mean, I, I don't, I can't claim to know uh, how, how the CIA generally did things of this nature, but I think they would try to at least keep a uh, audio record of that for maybe a year, you know, see where it goes. Yeah. Um, at least until the guy goes to Cuba. If so, if people, if the idea is that maybe it wasn't Oswald, who's the who are the prime suspects for who it could be? I don't, I don't know yeah. who that guy is. There's a yeah. guy. There's a picture of a dude, and nobody knows who he is. He looks chill. Yeah. He looks like somebody yeah. who he, somebody should recognize because he looks like an American. <laughs> Someone dude who, recognized him. I'm at looking him up I mean, right now. Right. He's like wearing sunglasses. I haven't looked at this picture in a while. Right. Yeah. He looks like a linebacker, and like he, yeah, like presumably. Oh yes. <laughs> no, he's not wearing sunglasses. Yeah. He looks like he's 50 years he old. Literally yeah. Yeah. Like, he literally looks nothing like. Yeah. Oswald. He looks it's nothing absurd. like like yeah. Lee Harvey Oswald is a slight. Gentleman, right? You know, he's not a he's not a very big very guy. Spike Jones coded. I can't tell, and certainly now my uh, ability to discern height from photographs is is completely thrown off by the presence of Ben. But uh, <laughs> this guy is just—it's like a fully different build than Lee Harvey Oswald, but also just a clearly different face. He looks like yeah. a, he looks like Ed O'Neill from Married with Children. Is yeah, what, that's what I always yeah. think of when yeah. I see the picture. Yeah, yeah. Lee Harvey Oswald kind of looks like. I'm looking at this one picture of him getting arrested. He kind of looks like American Apparel style. He just the the way the lights on his face. He looks like a little skater director. He does look a little skater guy. Yeah, he does. Yeah. He looks like he's like trying to do a bump with he your girlfriend. He would be like in so into Sofia Coppola. If he would, he uh, made it through. Ugh, he'd be wearing a XXL Greta Gerwig tall tee he got from IFC. Um, so Mexico, this was sort of, uh, Peter Dale Scott talks about how this was part of like a possible two track, um, cover up, tr- cover up. Yeah. I was about to say two track track, but cover up for, and we, we've sort of already talked about this in the episode, right? Is that like CIA was using him and they kind of wanted to leave both options open, Right. The option where it was like very clearly linking him to the Eastern Bloc and I guess now the uh, South of the Border Bloc, um, and which is really what they should have called the Pink Tide, and uh, or one that's like he's a he's a patsy. So like it's like it's really is like almost like insurance, right? To see which which track that they want to go with, like the lone nut or the. I don't the think they were going for the patsy. Yeah, lone nut. Yeah, like, yeah, lone yeah. nut. Yeah, yeah, not patsy. That would have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we think he's a pat. He said he was a patsy. He so. said he was a patsy. That was his theory. That he was the first conspiracy theorist of the yeah. JFK assassination. When he says I'm a patsy, he is positing a conspiracy theory, which is probably the second conspiracy theorist was 
um, Robert Kennedy. Yeah, yeah. Because he immediately was like calling people saying, your guys did this to the CIA and so on. So you mentioned either in the first part of this episode that we did or earlier just now, I can't remember when you said, but that all of these sort of like mishandled memos going to all these different departments, all of these kind of like redirected paper trails, none of this matches up with anything that was told to the Warren Commission, right? Yeah. I mean, the the Warren Commission was told that the CIA has very minimal files on this guy that certainly they were not surveilling him heavily and had tons of cable traffic about him. And certainly not that he was ever, you know, they had any operational interest in him or were using him for any purposes. Um, but even, f- you know, if you look at testimony from people, um, like Ann Edgeter was, again, in Angleton's counterintelligence office, um, and she was handling Oswald's file for the last basically three years of his life, uh, starting when she opened the file in late 1960. And, you know, she said that when... Because uh, they were all, you know, they sat, they hear about the assassination in Langley, you know, Langley HQ, and they turn on their radios. And when they heard the name Oswald, she said it was electric. Like everybody was all of a sudden like, oh, okay, this is interesting. Mm. <laughs> uh, which I think just directly, which would be weird if no one had ever heard of him. Right, before, exactly. Right? You know, the because the ostensible story would be we had never heard of him, and then we went back and looked, and oh, like, yeah, he does show up in some of these places. But actually, contemporaneous, like when the assassination happened, obviously, we could see from the documents they had been surveilling him heavily, and and, uh, uh, and so they, they, I think, recognized that there's a real problem here because uh, this has the potential, certain, because it inter, especially because it intersects with uh, the Castro assassination plots, even for people who had no, uh, had no, foreknowledge of any kind about the assassination or that Oswald might be involved, even if you were just, let's say, we, t- we talked about the fact that the Fair Play for Cuba Committee um, operation that Oswald seems to have been a part of or was definitely, there was a lot of attention paid to him as a part of that operation, whatever his role in that was. Um, if you start to unravel that, if the Warren Commission starts to get into that, and this is what ultimately happened when the Church Committee did get into it, you're going to find out about all these crazy, illegal Castro assassination plots. Mm -hmm. So there's so much incentive for everybody in the CIA to just lie, destroy documents, which we know happened. Uh, One of the most egregious examples of this cover-up was the House Select Committee uh, was investigating uh, the the JFK assassination. And uh, so we talked about the fact that Oswald uh, seemed to have this weird relationship with Carlos Bernier, who was running the DRE, this anti-Cuban, uh, anti-Castro-Cuban exile group in New Orleans. And the person who was uh, handling that group uh, was this guy, George Joannides. And uh, the CIA made him the liaison between the House Select Committee and the CIA. So if we're going to get documents, you're going to go to George Joannides. Well, they they told the select committee that you know, like he was just a lawyer at the CIA. He had nothing to do with anything. He certainly mm-hmm. was not personally involved in any of this. Uh, and it turns out they just straight up lied to the House Select Committee, this you know congressional committee, and put exactly the worst possible person from the select committee's point of view, which is somebody who um, was directly involved in all of the all the Castro Cuba stuff, all the anti Castro exile groups the one relating to Oswald specifically that Oswald had these interactions with, that's exactly the person they put in place. 
And it seems very logical that you would put him in place because he knows where all the bodies are buried. He did mm-hmm. all of that stuff. And so he knows exactly what needs to be censored and what documents they can't get. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. So the, uh, I mean, that's how, that's how Blakey, des- you know, he described their investigation into that stuff as totally frustrated by this CIA intransigence. Uh, and it's, it's, he, was, he complained about that later. At the time, yeah, yeah, uh, that's when he found out. That's yeah, when, Hardaway, he found that out. was years later. Yeah. That was around the 1990s that's when right. he said, like, I now agree that the CIA is uh, an institution that you should never, ever trust unless you can totally verify something yeah. to that effect. But at the time of the investigation, the people on the staff, like Lopez and Hardaway and Gate and Fonzie, were all complaining to Blakey about this guy. This guy's, like, stonewalling us, and he's, like, in- intentionally screwing us up. Yeah. So yeah. they knew right away, and then Blakey, but and then Blakey finally, in the '90s, he says on Frontline. I think it's on the Frontline documentary, and or in response to it that PBS did around the time of the 30th anniversary. He says like, "Yeah, the CIA is an institution you just cannot trust." Uh, I was told that before, and now I totally believe it. And then later in 2017, I believe he was a signatory to the American Truth and Reconciliation Pesi- mm. uh, petition, where he, which says that the state was involved in the murder of President Kennedy and Robert Kennedy and Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and that yeah. there should be a truth and reconciliation process. So it's the guy who did the most recent investigation and chaired that committee has come yeah. out saying he believes that the state killed Kennedy. Well, it's, it's really a remarkable admission and it went mostly unreported by the press. It's like what are they actually – like why is there – at the time of the Warren Commission, like you can understand – the ostensible reasons we want, we've been trying to kill Castro and that's illegal. And so we need to protect that. Yeah. But then that comes out in the church committee. Yeah. Right. And so in, at the House Select Committee, like, what are they still covering up Exactly, because we, we, like, it's, that's done and dusted. We yeah. know all of that. Exactly. You know? So what is, and especially at this point, 60 years later, like, what is, what operations that are ongoing today could possibly be compromised by releasing sixty-year-old documents. Well, that was that was one of the interesting things that um, I noticed when, because there's been in the past, like I guess five or six years, a big push to like release more documents. Right, a bunch of them came out, I think, during Trump, and then there was supposed to be like the final. I think it was the final. Don't quote me on this, but I'm sure both of you could just tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, they, they were supposed to release like the rest of the documents. Like it was yeah, all going to come law. out. There's a, the law. According to the, the law, law there, they yes. have to. Yeah. And then last year they released some more and then Biden's like the administration, I don't know if Biden, Biden probably still thinks JFK is alive. Uh, but like not in a conspiracy <laughs> way, like genuinely like in a sort of return to childhood kind of way. <laughs> um, but uh, but they were supposed to release the rest of them and then they're like, oh, COVID really slowed it down. Yeah. And then, like, the rest still haven't come out yet. Well, they've said that the CIA gets to decide what they're going to release. Like, there's no yeah. outside party. And this, I mean, even, like... There's no oversight. Yeah. There there was, at one point, the Assassination Records Review Board, which yes. is when a lot of stuff came out in... Uh, like, a lot of these CIA Oswald files came out in the 90s. Um, but they were also stymied as well. Like, it's just... And, and to, so there's there are still, I think, at least 4,000 documents... That uh, are that the ARRB def- like identified as being related and should be released, um, and those documents have just not been released, despite the fact that the law says that they they are obligated to release them. Um, and it's clear that there are still uh, things that they are are hiding, and it's uh, it's you know again, uh, it makes sense that they wanted to cover up the Castro assassinations, you know. 
in the 60s and even in the 70s it makes sense that there might have been stuff but in 2023 what is dead what is still like what is still is there any is it really can you really is it really credible that there's still any kind of active operation going on well, no, I mean, from it's, 60 it's years ago absolutely incredible everyone involved not everyone involved but i I could have very. It would be difficult to imagine yeah. that there would be a very active. Yeah, right. You know, maybe slowly, slowly, slowly they started slowly poisoning a baby, uh, <laughs> and they got to wait for that to play out. I think the tide is turning a little bit, though, in terms of the cover up. Uh, you're right that there's no reason to have it go this long. Um, ostensibly, like by their own logic, that they state about you know methods and sources and all this stuff, but. What is really remarkable to me after looking into what the CIA does about its most scandalous activities, when there's something that you do know and you can see a procedure, you can see something that they did, it gives you an, a, a view into what the upper logic is of the institution. And the Frank Olson case to me is really remarkable because why was Frank Olson killed? Apparently – there's more and more evidence to suggest that he was killed because he was – they were worried he was a security risk and he was going to release potentially uh, or reveal secrets about the biological weapons program in Korea where where airmen who had been captured started talking about how they were using biological weapons. And the U.S. has denied this always and that was the, the justif- not say justification. It was the uh, pretext for launching the MK Ultra program. Right, that oh, they've got this brainwashing technology because they're tricking our soldiers into saying we're using chemical weapons, and of course we would never do that. And so it must be that they have a very advanced uh, Oriental despotism techniques <laughs> over there that we're going to have to study and make our own mind control program. Ancient Chinese secrets of mind control. <laughs> There's a mind control gap, and we've got to deal with it, right? <laughs> so that's the excuse, but there wasn't because they're they in all likelihood they were really dropping these weapons now. To deal with Olson, they apparently uh, kill him. They, they assassinate him. And when Seymour Hirsch spoke to one of his high-placed guys uh, in the in the agency, he came back and told Seymour, "Yeah, there's a uh, there's an apparatus for that. There's a guy who's a security risk. We can you can get rid of him." And uh, that's what happened in this case. He was deemed a security risk, and you had to uh, get rid of him. But what that tells us is that. Among the things, what was the security risk that he posed? He was going to reveal state crimes. So if you have that as your logic, you can kill an official. You can kill any official, apparently. If Kennedy is talking to Castro, they some sort of entity like that, perhaps uh, with the Office of Security interfacing with continuity of government or doomsday project overriding emergency powers, it could have actually been sanctioned in that sort of a way. And they we that we can establish pretty clearly that they consider the exposure of state crimes to be reason for uh, killing someone, killing an official, even. And I mean, certainly in the JFK. Investigation. There are a lot of untimely deaths. Yes. I mean, you mentioned George Demore Sheldon. He's he's mm-hmm. an example of one. Right when Bill O'Reilly was walking, yeah, I, that's I, right. we might have mentioned this in a previous episode, but Bill O'Reilly for a long time claimed that I love this. Speaking of lie memoirs, I love this lie that uh, he was walking up to George Demore and Sheldon's door to knock on it when he heard a, the fatal yeah. gunshot of Demore and Sheldon blowing his own 
brains out. This is just stupid lie of all the lies you can tell. It's just the best timing no, in all the world. You gotta, it's, they, they tell you a lot about the big lie, but sometimes if you tell a dumb lie, people are like, well, he can't be making that up. <laughs> you know That's what I mean? That's the classic move, though. <laughs> yeah. I make it so stupid that people think that there's no way it could be, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got, uh, I used to tell people that uh, my great, great, uh, no, no, I used to tell people that Max's great-grandfather invented the dimples on golf balls. <laughs> And yeah, you used to tell forever. people your name was Gretchen. Yeah, that is that is true, but that's to catch. It's no. Well, my legal name is Gretchen, but I go by Brace. <laughs> um, it's Gretchen Brace 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 Belden. But yeah, it's yeah. So there's a, a lot of very convenient deaths during the. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's also ominous that the Office of Security, of course, was the one of the two offices that was involved in handling Oswald's file uh, for for in handling the most important files. You know, during his entire period between when he apparently came on the CIA's radar in nineteen October nineteen fifty nine, till when he shot the president, that was that was who was handling a lot of those files. Uh, you Same know, people that handled the sexual blackmail stuff, Paul Gaynor's like security research services or whatever. Yeah. I mean, they were up to every crazy thing that you could be doing, uh, just about. And I mean, the fact that James McCord is the guy that they sent, he's the guy handling the Fair Play for Cuba stuff. Yeah, he's the guy they send to cover up the. Um, to deal with the, the local authorities because there was a problem with Frank Olson when he was tossed out of the window in 1953. He actually was still alive and he like said some shit that kind of alarmed yeah. some people out there on the pavement. This dude just fallen 10, 10 stories. And they're like, well, we got a little problem here. Uh, we better send in the cleanup man. And that's James McCord. Throws, a, throws an anvil out after him. <laughs> I mean, it's a really big piano. Yeah. I heard from someone who has done a lot of research here that who interviewed people uh, in the CIA, and they said that a person who was in the CIA told a researcher that James McCord's nickname was Zap Man, and that he they suspect that he actually killed J. Edgar Hoover. What? Now, what? I, which I'm not saying that I believe, subscribe Wait, to this, but, but Hoover did die at a very unfortuitous time for Nixon, his death really did clear the way. I think for what for Watergate potentially. So I don't put it out of the realm of possibility, but I think it's a I've little nutty. Yeah, I think it's yeah, a little yeah. nutty. But they said he may have had some sort of pin, like a you know a writing a ballpoint How pin. How did Hoover die? A heart attack. Oh, okay. It fits. So I don't know if if that's really true about McCord, but the fact, but we do know enough about him to say he was very well placed at these events, uh, like Frank Olson, Fair Play for Cuba Committee, Watergate. I mean, he was a that and he was in the office of security, which yeah. is the inner sanctum of the inner sanctum. It's it's funny sometimes, like reading, especially about um, the CIA, kind of in the golden age of spycraft, like, you know, during like from like the fifties to the eighties, is like there is like basically main characters who are just like oh, yeah. I mean, presumably there's so many people that work for the CIA, right? Like I'm not talking about like assets or whatever. I'm talking like literally like yeah, yeah. you are, your paycheck comes from, or well, who knows where your paycheck bureaucrats. comes from. Bureaucrats. But yeah, you work for them. Yeah. And like, but even beyond bureaucrats, even like guys who smoke other guys, you know what I mean? But it's like, there's like the same like 20 guys that just yeah. crop up in everything. Yeah. I mean, obviously some of them are like very high rank, you know, section heads, you know, et cetera. But like, it will really, I mean, it's really a lot of main characters in the CIA. Which is Especially the reason to look forward era. to like the next, like in, in like 30 years, we get to find out who the main character, the 20 main yeah. characters are of this Gretchen? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's changed now. I, I think that yeah, they're too, too anodyne and generic and inter- interchangeable and that 
the, I, I have a hard time keeping them straight, to be honest. Like, if you talk about Clapper or, Co- or yeah. Co- uh, Comey, all these different Comey's officials kind of, that are in that realm, um, Hayden, There's not the you same know, verve. They're yeah, just, they don't make oh, them like they Comey's used to. Comey's got no yeah. verve, but there's a certain, like, patheticness to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, like, he's like a hangdog. Yeah, he, well, he always looks wet, first of all. Yeah. He does, yeah. Like, he wet, looks like he's, he's always come in from the rain and his trench coat is wet. He has the posture of a wet man. Mm-hmm. Well, he he did throw the election so that the CIA could put well the White Hats and the CIA could put Hillary in Guantanamo finally, but uh, because my, of the United States of Africa. Well, that's of course the Gaddafi faction within the CIA, which is a more recent thing because of DEI and uh, Third World Studies at universities. But uh, the like it, it is it is so interesting that like some I mean, some of these guys not to valorize them or anything, but like Angleton is fascinating. Right, yeah. Like even the way he looked, they, they don't even really make guys that look like that anymore. He looks no. like a cigarette. Uh, That's what killed him. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, and but uh, well, that science isn't set on that. But um, he, it's like yeah, you know, like Angleton or like you know Wisner, all these fucking guys. They're kind of like I mean, they were. I guess kind of a lot of them were just Italian, but like they, 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 they had these sort of like outsized personalities. Sturgis is classic. Sturgis, yeah. yeah. Oh my like, God, he's shark. Yeah. David Morales, he's a, he, he was a, he was a character. But now Vernal it's just killer. like they all kind of just look like skinnier versions of Mike Pompeo. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they don't look like Comey. Like any of those guys, Comey could be any number. If you told me that, like you show me yeah. a picture of James Comey, you'd be like yeah, this guy's in charge of like what name the department? I'd be like, yeah, I believe you. I don't know. That's they all look like that. yeah. It's like everybody's like Jessica Chastain's character in Zero Dark Thirty. Yes. Like, yeah, just like very like that was like the sexed up like Hollywood version yes. of it. Yeah. Like, yeah, as like interesting as they could make it. Yeah, it was just like very very boring. But at least now we have a lot more like. At, you know, DHS, I feel like that's where, like, the real Goombas yeah, totally. are. And, yeah. like, I... There's some I, more Wild West over there, too. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Well, you don't need a high school d- degree or diploma. Yeah, they'll take them yeah, basically You can anyone. do middle school and so higher. Imagine, imagine they got running around over there. So to get back to JFK a little bit, we're nearing the 60th anniversary of him having a cardiac incident um, in Texas, and uh, you know what? Are, what are you know? We, as we we talked about a little bit in this episode, and that probably many of our listeners just generally know, like you know, this is still something that is still actively you know being covered up. Uh, What's kind of what's news in the cover-up world lately about this? Well, there have been a number of stories in recent years that I think show that the cover-up is kind of wavering, um, and it's happening in tandem with the decline of the U.S. empire, and that opens up some interesting possibilities. There was the story in the New York Times about Paul Landis, who was a Secret Service agent, and his story is kind of odd, and I don't, I don't think I totally. It's a little. It's weird to try to figure out how much of it is accurate. But the, he his claim is that he was a Secret Service agent. He came up on the limo, and he saw bl- brains splatter all over the back seat, and he found a bullet back there. And then he didn't know what to do, so he went to the hospital, and then he set it on a stretcher there. And that is what he claims is the origin of the magic bullet. See Commission Exhibit 399. 
Now that's and the New York Times reported on this and said like maybe there's more to this story than we know because this seems to actually make falsify the magic bullet theory and oh my gosh is it possible that we got this story wrong I don't know now why they're writing that now when there are many other things that have come out in recent years that could have led them to speak about this is is to me fascinating and I don't know exactly why but that's a really fascinating development of late you had Tucker Carlson. Uh, shortly before he was fired, um, he went on and said that we spoke to someone high in the CIA and they said that and they've looked at the documents the CIA still is, is withholding. And uh, they told us that uh, there's every that, that the CIA had some relationship with Oswald and that every CIA director since JFK was assassinated has known that the CIA was involved in the assassination and none of them have done anything about it. Um, and so that was, uh, you know, it was on the, the highest rated cable news show that this was reported. So that was pretty remarkable. Whatever you think of Fox and Tucker Carlson, and I'm not a big fan of either of them, but that's a fascinating thing. And uh, then Tucker Carlson got fired. When he was fired, he was actually supposed to be having Oliver Stone come on that week. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it. I, can't, I don't really think it does, but mm -hmm. that, he was, that would have been a fascinating conversation. Um, and in general, what I think with the JFK assassination, the reason maybe the cover-up, that I have a little bit of optimism about this, and the reason the media might be treating it a little bit differently. For example, David Talbot is writing an op-ed on the anniversary itself. Like they're, letting David, they're giving David Talbot space to write about the Kennedy assassination. He's one of the best people we have out there uh, talking about that now. And I think maybe the reason is this is, I put this forward in the book, and this is maybe – I'm not known for like, you know, uh, flights of optimistic fancy that often, you know. But – and I don't necessarily think this is going to happen. But I, I put it as a possibility in American Exception at the end of the book. When you look at why the assassination happened, it happened because Kennedy – in the previous episodes, we've talked more about his foreign policy and how he mm -hmm. really did break with Eisenhower, the Eisenhower-Dulles consensus on, on U.S. imperialism. And he really wanted more of a return to kind of a new deal, um, almost like a Henry Wallace century of the common man kind of a thing, not the American century anymore. I think he realized where this was heading and nuclear confrontation and so on. And he did actually support some third world nationalism. Um, as much as he could in the context of the Cold War. And he came to recognize that the Cold War itself was an impediment to any economic or foreign policies that he would have wanted to be able to do. And so he went right at it. He went right at the Cold War. And that was uh, the Cold War had been established by an establishment consensus. And he was going against that consensus. And they decided that they would not allow him to overturn that consensus. And so they used the clandestine apparatus that they had painstakingly constructed along with other media assets to cover it up, uh, to get rid of this president. And as a result, the U.S. continued to pursue its, and, and really ramped up under Johnson, brutal, murderous policies, killing millions of people in Indonesia, uh, in Congo over the decades that would follow because of a change in policy. Uh, the Vietnam War, of course, in Laos and Vietnam and Cambodia was catastrophic. I mean, this was a, had enormous consequences for human history. But... Where are we now in 2023? That empire is has seems to have run its course. It's pre, it, the other leaders in Russia 
and China are speaking more candidly about the U.S. as basically the big problem for world politics. And when you look at every area where there's a, a, a major problem that you think like, gosh, if only this could be solved, it all traces back to the U.S. The U.S. put in an anti-Russian government right on Russia's doorstep intentionally to provoke Russia, and th that leads to this Ukraine war, which the U.S. insisted keep going uh, rather than letting them sue for peace. And now you have a half a million people slaughtered and for nothing, and it's wasted a ton of money, and it's achieved none of the geopolitical goals that the U.S. set out to achieve. They've withdrawn from Afghanistan. They lost in Iraq. They lost in St Syria and are brazenly occupying Syrian territory in an imperialist fashion, stealing oil and so on. And in Gaza now... You know, this is the other thing that gets launched at the end of World War II. You not only have the insane U.S. empire and the idea that the U.S. is going to rule the world uh, in a friendly democracy way with a secret, you know, covert apparatus so they can still run it basically like colonialism. Okay, that was one megalomaniacal, you know, holy war that was decided upon at the end of World War II that the U.S. would do that. It's been disastrous for the world. And then there's the, the Zionism, which is, an, which is on a smaller scale, but is similar, just Western imperial, you know, uh, fascism uh, that doesn't call itself fascism. And I think that they, are, they have both run their course, and the whole world is waiting for this to, uh, to be sort of swept aside or to recede because the U.S. has waged a war against humanity. And that was what Kennedy was trying to confront not as Che Guevara, but as somebody working in that establishment. And now that we are at the point that this empire is falling, then what's even the point of covering all this stuff up anymore? What is the, they, it actually would be beneficial to allow some of this stuff to come out and see the light of day because it could almost function like a structural deep event in reverse, as Peter Del Scott talks about. The, if you're running the U.S. empire, you're running the U.S. government, you realize that the global dominance machine is no longer tenable. What are you going to do to make the U.S. a functional polity, a functional political entity when you've messed with people's minds so much for so long? It's going to take something dramatic. And I don't know that this will be the case, but it's interesting to think about this in light of the fact that they are – places like the New York Times are taking a more open-minded attitude about this. Maybe we will see some kind of uh, revelation about this, and I think uh, – it would be very beneficial to us as uh, as we move forward to this next stage uh, where we are not the headquarters of global fuckery, which is what we've been since the end of World War II. Uh, you, you, can, you cannot overstate it that we are basically, and the people don't want to admit this, and liberals and leftists, a lot of them, want to act like, oh, no, I have a more nuanced, sophisticated point of view. And normally, I think it's hard to speak about things categorically in black and white terms, but you don't really go too wrong if you just say, we are categorically the bad guys of human history since the end of World War II. If there, are, if there is a bad guy, a villain of human history since the end of World War II, it's us, and we, can't, we don't know how to fix it. Because we can't fix it democratically, because if we, if we elect someone they don't like, they'll just murder him in broad daylight. So how do we do this? Well, it's, that empire is being defeated the same way all other empires are defeated uh, by its foes externally. And that may change things internally. And that's where I'm, I'm fascinated to see what's going to happen with all of this because it's there. It's right there in history. And once you lose the power to rule the world and make all the money in the world, you probably lose the power to tell everybody how it's going to be uh, forever. Yeah. I, I feel like even on the, on the micro level, just looking at uh, – the, the CIA as an institution in American society that they are able to continue to withhold basic information from the public and mislead the public about 
uh, you know, their relationship with the assassination of the president, uh, I think it reveals a lot about the political system that that is that they're unaccountable essentially, uh, and that uh, all these very legitimate questions that people have just can't be answered. Uh, I think that is is you know pretty fundamentally revealing, and I think that the uh, the more that people point out, uh, you know, you have these limited releases of information and at every step, even though they're stymieing that, every limited release of information has given more and more, it's just raised more and more questions about what was the CIA's role here. There's more and more smoke being produced every time there are new documents that, you know, I mean, thinking of the big, the, you know, the HSCA and the ARB were the two big ones. Um, and so, you know, that's, I mean, I feel like getting those last documents released uh, no matter how you feel, like even if you d- disagree that that Kennedy was killed by uh, by this by this you know milieu of CIA and Cuban exile and all that, even if you don't agree with that, it seems straightforward that uh, that there's no there's no legitimate reason for the CIA to keep all these documents and they should just release them all, and they're legally obligated to do so, so they they may as well. You heard it here, ladies and gentlemen. Release the documents. I was just thinking we can put up some flyers with maybe like... (laughs) No, 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 Liz. We go around with billboard trucks and say release the documents. We we could go out on the street with a uh, sandwich board that says release the documents and start handing out flyers, maybe get into a fist fight with somebody. I have a document brace that uh, that, that we're going to release. That we have released, we have we have released it. What is it? What? It is on the Four Died Trying website, and it is about one of your heroes growing up, Otto Skorzeny. Um, he's being sarcastic, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. He's not. I just find him a fascinating. Hero. I didn't know about the war stuff. I just thought he was a really good. <laughs> he had a cool scar. Well, he did help your people once. But this is fascinating, actually. Uh, he. Um, I say your your people of to uh, mean your, Jewish. Your, 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 yes. your Jewish brothers. He was uh, in September of 1962. He had been approached by Mossad earlier, and they said, "There's this Egyptian scientist guy, and uh, he's German. He's uh, they, they, they might make some rockets, and then NASA will shoot him at us. Uh, could you maybe deal with this guy? You know, and your own using your own special Otto Skorzeny skills because you're a Nazi assassin." And uh, he was like, well, can you please take me off the list of war criminals because uh, I don't want to be hunted down by you guys. And if you can do that, then I'll <laughs> kill this scientist for you. And they did. Talk so about a tit for tat. He, he yeah. came, Skorzeny started working for Mossad. And, and in September, they, they called in that favor. And so they take this German scientist and they, uh, they kill him and then they, they, find, they dissolve him in acid. And that's that. You know, that's a done deal. And that same month, this is, this is where it gets into the relevance of the Kennedy assassination, that same month... In Madrid, uh, Otto Tenander's friend, uh, who has a podcast, his name escapes me right now, but it's in the article, um, he uncovered, he found a document in the West German BND, you know, files. Mm-hmm. and uh, That's the West German intelligence agency. Yeah, and they have an Otto Skorzeny file, and in there they found a document. A Air Force uh, visitor went to, or an Air Force officer went to see Otto Skorzeny in Madrid to talk to complain about President Kennedy and the way what the document says in, among U.S. Army officers, or U.S. military officers, one is distraught over the politics of the current president and his close advisors. The advisors are wusses who do not believe in the supremacy of the West over the East. 
The election of Kennedy was a catastrophe which was achieved by bribery and corruption which cannot be undone in one legislative session, etc. Similarly, the officers are critical of the millions spent on Poland solely for elections or given to the inward states, meaning African states, whose diaspora in the U.S. could be courted as voters. So why is a high-ranking Air Force officer, maybe it's Curtis LeMay, maybe it's somebody else, but why would you go to talk to Otto Skorzeny about your feelings about, I mean, he's not a, the shoulder to cry on or the, you know, the person to give you guidance. Like, he's a person you go to if you want someone murdered. Why was he visiting them to complain about that in, uh, in September of 1962? I think it's, it's pretty fascinating, and we've put that out on the Four Died Trying uh, website, and the, the documentary film is uh, coming soon on the 22nd also that people should check out. It deals with the four major political assassinations, and they worked on it for like 10 years almost. So uh, it's cool to be uh, more writing for them, and we found this document. And people had asked me in the past because I'd mentioned it on the podcast before, and they said, post it, post it, post it. So I finally – I did make a, a post for it, and uh, you, can, you can read it there. Well, we'll definitely link to it. This is like a great exercise and lesson to our listeners to always follow the documents, oh, which yeah. is what we're always saying. Always follow the documents and always ask for more documents. Collect documents. You don't even have to read them. You should just be printing them out. Just print them, print them out. Yeah. Everything you see on the internet, print out. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Who knows like how long any the website last. that you've ever that you go to, just this is what I always do. I just hit print, not to PDF, straight to the printer, and then file it away. And if you don't have time to file it away, just stack it as as high as you can. I do kind of the old school route, is where I, I subscribe to basically every major newspaper in the world and kind of just let them pile up <laughs> yeah. in my house. You never know when you're going to need some reading material, you know? Exactly. Well, what if something happened? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what, <laughs> we talked about the newspaper, you know, an, an yeah. article about Lee Harvey yeah. Oswald in last episode. You know, what yeah. if I need an article about... You don't I mean, even know yet. I don't even know yet. It's impossible to predict. Well, fellas, thank you so much for joining us. Um, my question is this, and I've asked you this before. What if we're wrong? What if Lee Harvey Oswald was a committed, principled Marxist-Leninist <laughs> who saw what was happening in Vietnam, who saw you know, what was happening with, with the Bay of Pigs, and he was like, and he didn't know what was going on behind the scenes or anything like this. And he's like, I got to fucking stop this. And then he blows Kennedy's head off in a one-in-a-million motherfucking trick shot. And now everybody thinks that he worked for the CIA. I'm not even asking you what if that was the case. Just like how would you feel if that was you? If I were Lee Harvey Oswald and, and that was and all true. Were, and you're, in, well, you're is, in hell right now, by the way, because basically if enough people on Earth don't like you, you go to hell. Yeah. People make that argument that uh, – that, Oh, you don't want to accept that some little guy could actually change history. Uh, I, 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 that word really pisses me off. That the argument where you can't say that the CIA overthrew this government in like Africa or something because if you say that, you're taking away the agency of the people in this in this or that hypothetical African country. 
That people made similar arguments about Oswald that way, and it always kind of it, that one really pisses me off. Those versions of that argument. That's that is the, <laughs> the next step of the of the cover story is that you make it you you manipulate the document trail so you make it look like Oswald worked for the CIA. Yeah. So that therefore the and the only people who would take that seriously would be the left wing. Yes. And so you would make the left wing think that a committed marksman couldn't change the course of history. Yeah. In, in a single it's day. It's like oh no, this is it's actually bad to, bad to do stuff like that. That's exactly right. Only the CIA can do this. Yeah, I think I think I think you're onto this. It's elitist. It's more that Yale fucking Ivy League elitist (laughs) CIA Wall Street bullshit. Leave it to the professionals. So, so a guy who's four five five, four can't change the world. (laughs) You can, you can. Thank you, thank you. You just have to get better at shooting. Me, I'm a fucking crazy good shot. I would never (laughs) shoot a president. To be clear. And I would miss that one because my morals would be like, no, don't do it. Because everyone would think you're in the CIA. Well, it's Leon. <laughs> I, what's his fucking name? Leon or whatever. You know the motherfucker I'm talking about? Uh, he shot. <laughs> God, who did he shoot? You know what I'm talking about. Oh, the dude that shot McKinley? Yeah, McKinley. Uh, the guy that smoked McKinley. The pronunciation was not, didn't help me, but I'm I I'm sorry, how do you pronounce C-Z-O-L-G-O-S-Z. Uh, no. <laughs> well, yeah, true. Don't eat. Fair enough. Can you gesture. say it? Can you say it? Well, how do you say it? Uh, no, I have no idea. Oh, I was. That's why it's I was probably called like Slo- Slozga or whatever. Yeah, Slozga. Um, but like everyone was like, uh, he's an agent or whatever. But he just was like simple. I think actually, Shalgosh. I actually don't know much about him. Shalgosh? I would never have. I would have if he. If that's correct, I would never have guessed that as pronunciation yeah. in a million years. It was really hard to shoot someone back then, too, because guns didn't work that well. And, like, they were all, like, .18 caliber. Yeah. And so, like— But you you'll, get, you'll die if you get shot, though. Infection will kill you, though. That's true, time. yeah. And or if you if you just, like—you don't have—you've never eaten protein. So, like, if you, someone starts chasing you, they might die of just being t- <laughs> tired. All right. No uh, muscle mass. I am going to bring peace to the world uh, by using the restroom to pee immediately after this episode is done. You don't want me to say that? Okay. <laughs> well, keep it in. Uh, ben, independent researcher Ben Howard, and you're also an independent researcher, but um, political scientist Aaron Good, and the host of the American Exception podcast. We should sign off here. Sure. Thank you for joining us. My name is Gretchen. I'm Liz. We are, of course, joined by producer Young Chomsky, and this has been True Nun. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Jeffrey Epstein. Jeffrey Epstein.